Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. What is up, everyone? You're listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories, where you and I together twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of the coolest people in the crypto world, the brightest crowns in the box, the sharpest tools in the shed. But we talked to all these different people to truly understand how this movement came to be, where we are right now, and where we're going. Uh, thank you guys for being loyal listeners to the show. I love you all. Uh, we're going to be doing some crazy new type of content soon, um, and we're going to be uh, really looking into the future and in trying to understand uh, what the final like inflection point between all this technology that we've been building for 10, 11, 12 years and the future and mass adoption. And I read an amazing uh, uh, thing about inflection points, about electric cars, about how really we just need 5% of American uh, uh, consumers need to, car buyers need to just have electric cars. And at that point, it'll hit some like mass adoption stays, not like 50 or 60%. And, and mathematics actually explain why. And we'll get kind of into it a little bit later. Um, but uh, I'm really excited to do the show today. Will Barnes, uh, I'll introduce you in a moment, but thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to be here. So you, you've you been uh, uh, in the crypto space for, for a while now. You were a software engineer at Consensus. You were a blockchain engineer at MakerDAO. And so there's so much to unpack there. And now you're the CEO and co-founder of the Jet Protocol. And I was you know, kind of playing around with your app this morning and it's really cool because you've built out on top of the Solana blockchain, this borrowing and lending protocol uh, to allow people to, you know, in a much faster way because of Solana, uh, lower transaction costs and, and you can scale up to have this whole like next level of, of finance and, and removing a lot of the middlemen and middle companies that kind of do this now and have it all in one application that you can do on the, on the blockchain. When I were kind of looking into the show and everything, I almost wondered, like, you know, uh, you have you worked at two amazing companies. Why go on your own? After spending several years in crypto and being a part of the accelerated timeline that crypto <laughs> all usually offers, right? You have you pack. So like in traditional finance, right, you'll go like a decade, you'll have like one big event. You know, I was a product of the GFC, the global financial crisis. And in a way, like not to that same scale, because that was a very uh, pivotal and large scale crisis. But in crypto, like you can have these events happen pretty frequently, and especially over the past few years. And saw ups and downs and crashes. And even recently, we saw just huge pivotal moments and huge players in the space collapse. And... So I got into crypto in 2017. I was always enamored by markets and politics, govern, government, political economy, and didn't really put two and two together um, until you know, around 2016, 2017. I always wanted to have all these monitors and be a trader and be like reacting to the news. And eventually around 2016, 2017, started seeing crypto on the rise. and I was uh, working at PwC at the time and doing tech consulting for sales and trading for software deployments. And I was like, okay, like this is interesting. And you know, previously I always discounted it, but this time I hopped right in. Sure. And there was no KYC, like no one was checking 
credentials, like they didn't care. For the most part, you could just be anonymous and just write code, deploy it directly to the blockchain, do all these trades. I remember Ethan Delta was a thing. And it was just like, you know, a whole new world. And I was, you know, just completely into it. Basically just went full-time into crypto. And yeah, the first crypto job I had was a consensus where I met James, my co-founder. I was doing smart contract development there, some security auditing, just mostly focused on Ethereum at the time. And uh, yeah, it was just like living and breathing it. And then I got my basically foundation in smart contract development. And I say like you never really figure out the tech, like you're always learning more about it. Yeah, I had course. a pretty good foundation. And so Maker, which I'd always wanted to, to get involved in, like as I mentioned earlier, I always wanted to go into debt capital markets, which is really hard to get into. But Maker was, you know, this stablecoin project and I ended up getting a job there in 2019 where DeFi exploded and it was this big pivotal year. You know, TBL just exploded, went to the roof. There was growing pains. There was all these hacks that started happening. And it was just, you'd wake up every day. This is before even the pandemic. You just wake up every day and you would do like, yeah, you know, just always some new thing to do. And then, and then, yeah, there's the March 12th drawdown, which was just like, yeah, thrust right into this like, crisis mode and everyone was like feeling it together sitting in our basements just like dealing with this fallout of the markets and credit crunch and, and it was just uh yeah it, yeah it was but capital markets need to go through these type of of stress tests you know and actually if you go to your your website i'm trying to pull up the quote you guys have a great quote about it it's like we're expert aviators uh we can deal with every market condition calm skies turbulent yeah. flow and everything in between so it's kind of like, I would argue that what we're going through now, we need, we need, I was like, we were talking about on the show for a year before all this saying we, these protocols and blockchains need to go through their stress tests. They need to go through bear markets. And the ones that come out on the other side are the ones that are ready to be investable in for the future. And you can actually build out scalable infrastructure on top of them, but you can't build the infrastructure on top of something that always works. You need to know how it breaks. Totally. and. You know, you don't find out what's going to break. Like, you, you never know what's going to break until <laughs> yeah, things happen. And now. it's like, it's broken. And people are like, hey, this thing's broken. Like, and then you just, you know, you pour all your time and effort and just figure it out. And, and then, yeah, you fix it. Or maybe you can't fix it. Like, that's sort of the reality of crypto is that it's, it's brutally, it's, it's pretty brutal in terms of speed and just how quick things happen. So... Isn't that a testament to life anyways, you know, yeah. uh, at the end of the day. But you mentioned something really cool that, that uh, brought a smile to my face about capital markets. It's true. Um, we're probably like uh, uh, in the same age, we, uh, college, the same, the same type of year. We would never be able to work in real time, like building new capital markets, economics, mathematics, applied mathematics, if, uh, if we went like traditional finance route. It's like... Such yeah. an accelerated world because it's, it's, I hate to use the term web three, but you know, it kind of, whatever that represents, that's what it is. It is web three. And I don't think that's cliche. I mean, that's the whole idea behind you know, everyone who works to build just new financial services or, or like anything web three. That's not just exclusive. Like web three isn't just DeFi. Though I sort of occupy the DeFi space, 
anyone, I mean, yeah, both of us, we both probably look at, uh, you know, at the banking system are like, that doesn't really, you know, it works. Maybe, yeah. But does it really serve? Like, can I really go in there and like, you know, go in their forums and start like posting things and like, being like, hey, no, could you imagine? Changes. Yeah. Like, they're just like, who, who do you go to like kind of figure this stuff out? You just don't. And it's frustrating because at the end of the day, all the banks are pretty monetized, right? Like, go get your checking account. It's just, it's just like, so you know where to start. It reminds me, it reminds me of a funny story of, uh, in 2000, so 2013, at like the height of BitInstance, uh, 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 our company, which was a, a pre-Coinbase uh, exchange, we had a huge amount of the global volume for, for two, three years. And mm-hmm. I remember needing a way to verify, we allowed people a way to like, you know, either deposit cash or, or through uh, ACH Bing transfers to buy crypto, uh, buy Bitcoin, I say crypto, there was no crypto, it was just Bitcoin. Um, and but the problem was I needed a way to like verify bank balances or something to like verify because you had so much fraud, right? Yeah. Uh, people were, were were reversing transactions of stolen bank accounts and then buying Bitcoin with it. And we couldn't get around this problem. So all I needed was I was like, do banks have software APIs that will build the rest of it? But I yeah. need some connection with a, with a, a customer's permission. This is 2013. Didn't exist. Like I, I couldn't, I was on forums, someone at a bank of America forum from like 2015, a, two, a post from 2008 saying, is there an API? And, and someone from bank of America said, we're, you know, not, not at this time, but it's like, there was nothing, there was no connections between software yeah. and banking back then. And I would argue that Bitcoin and, and crypto ushered in that world. Yeah, it definitely ushered it in. And the folks who were that early, like set the stage for, the things that people started building into Web3 in general, like it was just a necessary like beachhead to really get the ball rolling on things. Yeah. But um, I was going to ask you, so so going back to like uh, uh, when you first got into into Bitcoin and uh, and you were studying kind of like global policy in the world and you were consulting and working at different at different early companies and things like that. Uh, did you run into the libertarian world at all when studying, you know, politics or studying abroad and things like that? You didn't run into the libertarian world. And, you know, at this point, the, the especially the Free State Project in New England was really taking Bitcoin uh, uh, as one of its like tools of freedom. Yeah, I went to school and studied political science. So I was exposed to pretty much every, you know, the, you know, the but the, the two-party system, the libertarian system. And, but I don't think I really was exposed heavily to it until really getting into crypto. Because then you, you know, you found a lot of people who were super early, like earlier than me, that were just very, like, they, they, they were there for ideological purposes. And I thought that was really interesting because you sort of never had that, like, level of, granularity and discussing politics with people in like the traditional world. Yeah, it's so true. It was like my first uh, entrance into, into learning about like anyone talking about how unfair the world could be. And like you were saying about the whole banking world and, and the fairness and how the people closer to it are the ones benefiting the most. And when kind of Satoshi predicted that in 2000, 
in 2009, I, I don't think anyone thought it would be as accelerated as where we ended up, where we are right now. I saw an article this morning that now we're the U.S. were like exporting all this inflation to the rest of the world. And like you see it, you see the rest of the world, you know, Sri Lanka is falling apart. Uh, countries yeah. are are falling into crisis where they can't pay for food and fuel. And and people predicted stuff like this. What happens when you print excess amounts of money years ago? That's what ends up happening. You export your inflation. You worked at Maker, which, I, you know, I'm going to say now that probably it, it's been around for a very long time. It's stablecoin yeah. and its ecosystem has been around for when when was it founded? What year? I believe it was twenty it was twenty seventeen. Okay. There's a big history there. I mean So I, that's yeah, almost half of the time that our industry has existed. So you can argue that it's there. Yeah. And through all of the bull and bear markets, that stablecoin peg has maintained. And it's like a hybrid. A lot of people have been reading a lot, listening and reading a lot of negativity about stablecoins lately. You have a lot of positive yeah. ones. You have Tether FUD for 10 plus years. It yeah. seems like a lot of my listeners really have, have not understood Maker and how it all works. Can you give us a little bit of a background on it? Yes. Yeah, so Maker is an over-collateralized stablecoin. So you have to, when I was there, it's just, I think it's like right now, it's like 125, 150% over-collateralized. When I was there, it was mostly, I think it was more around 150%. They've been optimizing a lot of smart people there that I used to work with. So you, you have to provide more collateral than you want to borrow. So, so if you want to borrow like, you know, like $100, you got to supply like you know, $150 worth of collateral. So the system can always go in and algorithmically in a non-custodial fashion, take your collateral, sell it, and pay down your debt. And then it'll actually even assess a fee on that as well. So the protocol like takes some revenue from it. So if you can't pay on your debt, the protocol's gonna levy a fee upon you. And to date, like its makers never collapsed. It's it maintains its peg. The peg has drifted at times after March 12, 2020. Sure. It shot up for a bit, it got pretty high, it got pretty high. Um, there's the complete, there was such a demand for die on the market. I think it like went up to like you know, a dollar over a dollar thirteen, or even like a like dollar thirty. I can barely remember. It's so long ago, but there's always enough collateral on Maker to liquidate and re- you know pay down any debt. And that also has created some interesting things. Like after the March twelfth, uh, oh, as yeah. they call it Black Thursday, like it did, it did struggle to maintain its peg because it was basically like a dollar two cents per die, and it all, they only really managed to fix that when they deployed the peg stabilization module, which basically let people are the price back down with USDC. So sort of like this, you know, one-to-one peg with other stable coins that reestablished the peg. And then there's just a lot of criticism from people about that because we have USDC, which is a, um, you know, I guess it's called a centralized stable coin. Sure. Being a huge portion of maker collateral. And that was just the reality of it at that point in time. No one knew what was going to happen. No one knew that the market was going to recover. And the way that it did, everyone was just looking very myopically at like the next few weeks and surviving. Just like that's sort of the mindset you have to get in in crypto is like when things just break down, you just need to like make sure that you can limp out of it with no damage, like with minimal damage. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, if you've been around crypto long enough, it's sort of just like cheap. You get this like 
when things get bad. Kind of brush it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's like you just survive. And uh and and then you know they've managed to like you know start decentralizing that further and further, right? You know, finding different collateral types and then added wrap Bitcoin and they've added multiple different collateral types now, which diversifies the risk. So sure. it's a process and it always has been and always will be. It just takes time to roll these things out. Because like, you know, another thing is that it's so unforgiving if you make a mistake in the smart contract code, you just get wrecked and someone will come, you know, really like clean out your protocol, which is like a constant fear of any protocol, right? Or any kind of developer. Of course. You actually got into the industry in a bear market too. Like that's when you first joined. It looks like in 2017, 2018 was like, that was a long one and a struggle until 2020. I mean, do you have any... Do you have any advice for people that are getting into the industry now? Uh, it's going to get, it, it always can get worse. <laughs> Just when you think it can't. I remember being in uh, like, I mean, consensus was, they had hired a bunch of people. It was a lot. I don't even remember like exactly every crew, like exponentially. And I remember being in Thailand and like doing the digital nomad thing with like a bunch of other folks at consensus. And, and I remember like the price of ETH, which like peaked around, like, I think just under $1,400 per ETH. I uh, was down in like the 80, it was like 85, 86, right? It was just like really low. And consensus was doing layoffs and it was handled like the sure. layoffs were just like pretty brutal. And it was like, people were just sort of finding out like randomly. Cause there's just, there's so many people. But I remember like, this is such a bizarre situation. But yeah, it, it gets pretty, it can get worse. It's always sort of the thing that I've tried to remember when things get tough. But you kind of alluded to like the importance there and, and it's not to be forgotten is that the importance of building in a bear market is, is that you're building, you're, you're building for the bad times yeah. to then launch for the good times, not to use the jet, you know. Algorithm. Yeah, yeah, to lift off during the, you know, when the market picks up. Because right now, it's just, uh, you know, is the market, is it really worth this much? Like, I don't know. Like, where, what is like the valuation of crypto? It dropped underneath the trillion. Is it just that people are in panic and fear and they're just, you know, everyone's sort of finding the assets to feel the most safe in? Maybe. Like, it's hard to tell. There's also, with crypto, like a lot of time, think it's so open that you can really get out. Like, crypto is just like very notorious getting out in front of the skis. And, sure. and that's just the asset class that it is. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Like in a way, like it punishes people. I mean, yeah. there's always some, some like really, you know, iffy situations where there's like definitely bad things going on, but like it doesn't, there's no like huge systemic risk that brings down like things usually sort of resolve in their own manner. And like, Versus like, you know, you, you see, you haven't seen like huge bailouts that require like a substantial government effort. In crypto, well, of course you wouldn't. But. Hopefully what we're seeing is like bailouts by the industry for the industry. And that's really like the only way that it's been going back to like Bitfinex launching their debt token in 2014. Yeah. Our industry, we've been bailing each other out and haircutting ourselves for, for almost a decade in, you know, in this so, journey yeah. of, of building out you know, this new technology and this whole new world. 
But I mean, I mean, like you said, we just got to move forward. I mean, what else are you going to do? You can't move yeah. backwards. You can't pack up and go home and we're all going to get our real jobs again. It's like funny because like the, someone did, someone pitched me on like an SNL skit for, for crypto. And one of the, one of the scenes was like, yeah, Bitcoin and crypto decide it's like over. And so we all have to go back to our real jobs. And some of us were like photographers or some of us were yeah. like, you know, landscapers. And it's like, could you imagine <laughs> I have to go back to, yeah. to, it's so funny. I couldn't, honestly, when I had <laughs> in 2018, when it, you know, 20, after 2017, the market just was really, you know, it was like really hot and then it just cooled off. Right. And it was like, I never once thought I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to go back to work doing this before. I was like, just completely burned all the bridges. Not like in a, you know, not like in a relationship way. I was just like, I'm not going to go back and work. Like, it's like, this is where I'm going to focus all my efforts. going to make this better and improve. And it's going to take time. And it just, you know, 2018, 2019, much the same of what's going to happen now. Like crypto will be back. It will recover. And it'll be better than it was before. Sure. I'm 100% confident it will. So I want to I wanna kind of dive a little bit deeper into the JET protocol in, in a few minutes and talk about lending and, and why it's important to like uh, a new type of financial world, right? But I also, before I do that, I want to ask you, because, you know, you worked you worked at Maker, which uh, was, was launched on Ethereum and uh, one of the top projects on top of Ethereum right now. Um, one of the reasons, yep. you know, gives it gives it value, gives it gas usage, and improves up the ecosystem. And then you also worked at Consensus, which is which is huge accelerator hub, uh, 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 innovation center, uh, you know, accelerator uh, investor, um, thought leader, brain center, think tank that was founded by one of the former th- uh, one of the founders of Ethereum, really great guy, Joe Lubin. But now you're building Jet Protocol on top of Solana. Yeah. You know my question. Yeah, I do. I I started my crypto journey on Ethereum. You know, when you first get into something, it's sort of like you find some loyalty to it because it's so fresh and and, and over time I would I would say even my co-founder James, like we met at Consensus working on Ethereum and he went off to go focus on Cosmos stuff and I and I sort of tell this story from time to time. I remember being like, man, well, what, what's so wrong with Ethereum? But over time, I sort of started to think like, okay, well, there's other pro- protocols out there. I still like Ethereum and there is nothing like, inherently wrong with Ethereum. But I was pretty impressed with a lot of the tech that was coming out. I mean, everything really. Like there's some, just a year or two in, it was like there's all these new layer ones being built. And at the time I was working you know, I was, I was a smart contract devil on Ethereum. And I remember really being focused on writing this thing that would sweep funds out of, com- or basically it would sweep your idle crypto into Compound and out like overnight. It was like a sweep account. And it was just this very rudimentary hack. Like it wasn't even hacked. I just like hacked it up in my, you know, sure. my, my bedroom in Williamsburg. And like, I remember it was like, well, wow, the gas prices eat into this, like, and it just pretty much, it doesn't, it, I can't create a profitable product out of this. And I always carry that forward, forward with like the, the, you know, the goal to get into like fixed income on the blockchain or debt capital markets, which is more like lower, it's fixed income, right? So you don't have the huge interest rates that you, that I feel that 
capital markets will have on the blockchain in a more steady state. But Solana, I remember seeing it early on and they were doing this, uh, you know, they were like, I think it was like Solana. Yeah. yeah, they had like they had this name for it where like you, know, you become a validator and like be on the blockchain. And I didn't participate at the time, but then at some point later, I you know stumbled upon it again. And well, basically, when Serum was on the chain, well, Serum was like the only program on Solana at the time, which was awesome because it was a it was a central limit order book and operated basically like one on centralized exchange. And I was like, that's pretty fast and powerful. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I can produce this product this sweep account product on a chain like Solana. So I just started hacking on it. And then Solana held this first hackathon and where you, know, you build, build a product and I built this uh, structured product idea and won one of the first place prizes. And then at that point I was like, you know, I really like this. I like the people here. They're very, you know, very helpful, friendly. They really like, you know, they really like reached out to me. And at the time as well, like I wasn't, you know, I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I had all this experience of being a maker and I wanted in consensus and then had these goals that I wanted to do. I was like trying to put them together, like build the, you know, pieces to like, okay, this gets me here where I can build this protocol. And then it just sort of fell into place. And, you know, off, next thing you know, like it's off to the races. I'd never raised before. Me and, you know, James, my co-founder, just raised cash to build this thing that we had, you know, we put together. And then it was just a natural fit. And it was just, you know, it felt like. Got to go with the flow. Yeah. It just sort of just like, when you, well, I guess one of the most interesting things is like, you can sort of, you can, you hack around by yourself for a long time. And, and it's like, you'll spin your wheels and yeah, sure. You'll be, you're writing like really good code, but like you really, until you have some momentum and you just like, yeah, like you said, go with the flow. It's like you you get something with momentum and it just this thing you built takes a life of its own. And it has been like really awesome to see over the past year. But sort of circle back on that question. Solana just presented itself at the right time and had some, you know, really like I really thought the speed and uh, low cost transactions was super interesting. Sort of yeah. kicked everything else off. I love, I love going with the flow. Uh, do you do, do you do any like uh, kayaking, canoeing or like whitewater rafting or anything like that? No, not really. Uh, I've done it before. I do like whitewater rafting. So, you know, you go down a river and imagine where the water, I love going back to this, like going with the flow because it's hard sometimes to go with the flow. Like right now, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or it's with anything in our lives that we, that we have, sometimes we get stuck. Like you said, we're spinning our wheels or spinning circles. We get in a rut and you go down a river for the water, there are a lot of times that that river, if you look at the water, it's just spinning. You know, it just spins yeah. in place for a while. That's us. It happens. But that water eventually continues to flow and it goes down. And it's like, I just have been doing a lot of outdoorsy stuff this weekend. So I'm like giving river analogies and things like that. And down here in yeah. Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so and that's important because I, 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 like, I like what you said. Maximalism does fade, right? I'm a decentralization maximalist. I don't think that will ever mm. change. But at one point in time, I definitely was a, a Bitcoin maximalist. Now I, I, I'm a decentralization maximalist and I like to, to look at, judge every single project you know, on their merits and see which ones are, are more centralized, which ones give up 
security for things like scalability. And on that note, though, I've heard that Solana kind of does that. And so how, you know, like, tell me how, you know, you go for something like, because, you know, with with mathematics and computer science, you can't, it's a lever system. If you're going to have yeah. a better user experience and have faster and lower transactions, that that security, you know, that pressure needs to go somewhere else. It's like a load bearing wall. You got to put yeah. that weight somewhere else. So like, what's going on there? Yeah. So with Solana, I, I I'd say at times maybe I'm I'm pretty critical of Solana, not not in a overly critical way. No, but it's new, so yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has issues, like any piece of technology. I think there's definitely early on when you have fewer nodes. That's definitely you. You can't really make a good decentralization argument there, but you know you can't just launch the thing with you know 50 million nodes spread out across the planet, but it's, it's progressively getting better. And I've seen the improvement myself and, you know, I wouldn't be building on Solana if I didn't think there was you know, improvement in, in that they were progressing. But there is, you know, the chain halts with frequency, you can say, um, it, it more than many other chains. Why? It's, it's almost become a meme at this point. Oh, yeah. And... You know, in, in the blockchain world, I think it's, yeah, it definitely hurts. You don't like seeing the chain go offline. And there's, there's a, in short, like the, the, some of it is like congestion. So you have a bunch of people, but for example, one thing was just like liquidator bots spamming, just buying transactions at the thing until it, the chain had trouble prioritizing them and, and the validation transactions didn't get through. And then the thing just like, you know, like, you know, like a default computer just goes into panic mode and it's just like, I'm going offline and then everything falls apart. And then you got to get the all the validators. Well, well, first, you know, the core team uh, needs to roll out a patch to, you know, fix the issue. And then, you know, then you got to get the thing, you know, every, all the validators got to upgrade their software and then run it. And like, this sort of has to happen like with some coordination as there is like some coordination yeah. and sequence of things that happen. And, you know, early on back in December, I guess, 2020, yeah, 2020, the, the first time it halted at a large scale, they were able to get it back on, online pretty quickly. Uh, then it happened again, I guess, I can't remember the dates now, but and it took a lot longer that time. Yeah. It was like 18 hours. So, you know, Solana, because you don't have a fee market, it's very cheap to just send transactions. You can just spam it, right? Like it's like less than a cent. So the cost to the user isn't much, but then you have issues where you get congestion and the thing gets overloaded. And so there's solutions to that, like quick and, um, and, and like I look at these and think and see like, okay, there's solutions being developed, but they're not quite there yet. And also, I also look to the bear market where there's a lot more time to focus on the intricate levels, the you know, more bare metal uh, areas of the blockchain to fix these things. Versus like when during bull markets, it's like rush the thing out the door. You know, like you just want to deliver and execute as fast as possible. So there's always that dichotomy between deep work and a bear market. I will say this. Every problem that Solana is having, every other blockchain has. They're just not big enough to have the problems yet. Ethereum and Bitcoin have been through that. Uh, The scalability is there and there's a pathway forward. 
uh, Solana looks like it's dealing with the problems now. And I'd rather deal with the problems now, building out a high throughput network and then figuring out solutions to doing that. Because like you said, there is no like fee market where you can have higher fees to prevent the, the network from being spammed. So like, how do you kind of solve things like this? And then at, on the same time, you know, why, what is the importance of building out uh, the JET protocol on top of that? Like what, what fascinates you about, you know, kind of capital markets and lending and, and who would be your like typical customer? Because it was fast and you could do all this intricate stuff. I thought there's more computational firepower here. And I think that as it, as the chain grows, it'll, it'll become even be able to be able to do more interesting stuff. I thought, I think Ethereum with 15 second block times, you know, wasn't really the right solution at the time, but I started to think it of Solana or just in general, like it doesn't, we don't necessarily need to think like sure. um, that it's going to be like one chain. But to think of this crypto in general as a settlement layer where you can settle. So you, and, and I, I say the best way to really, that I like to frame it is, is with the recent events of all these centralized lenders going down because they had just massive exposure to one party, one counterparty, is that it's opaque and you don't know where, you don't know those agreements. And on chain, right, you can see, you know, with Jet in the future, you can see who has exposure to what, like who, how much collateral a person's pledged, are they rehypothecating their assets, and like what is what does the market think of the credit risk of this particular person or this particular firm, and and you can see a risk snapshot every block essentially. And you can make decisions based off that. And you never had that before looking at these no, we never had centralized that lenders. That you was like, how this whole thing collapsed a few months ago. Yeah. So I think it's it's like infinitely more important that you can because you don't want to stop people from taking risks, right? Risk is how you how you you know make bigger gains, right? But it's also how you can make bigger losses. There's double-edged sword to risk, but if you can't like properly quantify the risk you want to take and see, hey, well, I think, well, there's risk here. This, you know, say like the interest rate for this unsecured borrower is this, it's higher, like it's definitely more risk there. But you can't like really get a good snapshot of like, why is it risky? Or like, you can't really make a huge informed decision. And I think that's the, what I see is the steady state world of lending on, on, in crypto. And it's not even just isolating your own chain. I think Solana is a great chain for it because it's fast. You can make decisions quicker. And with finance and DeFi, you want to be able to make quick decisions in finance. And I think that's what Jet is and will be and will constantly improve upon is you know, data. Can people make more esoteric, more esoteric yeah. loans essentially? Because if you and, and also another real quickly is like the Ethereum protocols that came out are built on Ethereum and they're groundbreaking for Ethereum at their specific point in time, compound, Ave, Maker, but they, you know, they're, they're, the interest rates can fluctuate, right? You can come have some huge whale yeah. come in, borrow a huge 
amount of cash and really throw off the interest rate environment in the protocol, which for speculative reasons that works well during a bull market because everyone is just leveraged to borrow to go long. Yeah. So, but then in a steady state, which is we're planning for where there's more institutions, more like large corporates who want to borrow money can come borrow in the settlement layer and say like, I want to borrow $10 million at a fixed rate for a month or six months. And they can. And, and then to, you know, the ultimate goal is, you know, exogenous lending where things like you know, lending externally to people who want to run a business or like, you know, invest in supply chain infrastructure. Yeah. Cause that's like a huge, you know, I look at supply chain in, in, in the world today is like supply chain of, of, of the world is going to need to change. So can that lending, can those loans originate on a crypto network, on a blockchain, on Solana? And I, the answer is yes, wholeheartedly. So. I love that. I, 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 I'm in agreement. I want to, I, I love how these problems are being solved now. I want to understand more. I'm a big, cause I have this, like, you have to understand that let's just say we're in this future world where all lending is happening on top of Solana blockchain. I want to know, does Solana have, will Solana, you know, in the future have that uh, inability for like a centralized party to freeze or reverse one other party's, you know, assets? And if the answer is yes, then I need to understand, then, then, then that's not good for me. So that's kind of, and I don't know if, if anyone is prepared to answer that question now. So the answer is no. It will take time to where okay. that is the like maximum no, where like, yeah, people just can't come in and change things. Things are built in a way that, I mean, some protocols are worse than others, like the DOM really manages this. Like yeah. there, there are where that is a thing that can happen, but the, and it's, maybe it's too easy to answer, but it's like a process, right? I mean, Jet, we've always been very, I mean, just to reference ourselves in general, especially with my, say like DNA from maker is that you just don't do that and you can't like, don't write it in a way where you can, because if you can, then someone will at some point sure. come in and make it make, you know, unilateral decision like that. So, and so we built, we spent a lot of time on our DAO and putting governance framework in place to make decisions where, you know, you have to do this thing, right. You have to kind of get this buy-in before things can become a proposal. And then, sure. you know, you give people a certain period of time to vote. And then that vote is applied to the system. And, you know, the, what we strive to be is similar to, like, Maker and Compound, where you write the code. And then it's basically staged in the system. And then you vote on that. And when the vote passes, that code is applied to the protocol and the changes are done trustlessly. And that is the, that is where I see things going on Solana. It's like yeah. just this very, very specific DAO structure that, that is, uh, yeah. I mean, um, I will bring out though, that that is, it takes some time to get there because if someone can come render a governance decision, there's like, a, like, there's definitely the threat of governance attacks. There's like this mid of process you have to manage where, you slowly inch there until you can defend the governance system from people who can come adversely. It's the largest treasure chest. I mean, it's the largest, it's a treasure chest. It's like, I mean, Satoshi even talks about this, right? He like, you're talking about 
the largest, the, these networks are just money waiting for hackers to, to take it. And so yeah. they're going to be trying to, to not only from like a, from a, a programming perspective, but a social engineering perspective too. nation states, major corporations. You don't think that a lot of the, the, the breakdowns in some of our best protocols happen because large institutions almost like edge them closer and shorted them at the same time. Things like that are happening, but but to to say that oh why did that happen that that was going to happen in the first place that's what we're building yeah. here we're building a whole new system that's going to be attacked from everyone to try to make sure it works and it's for the better. Yeah, um, it's high stakes. And there's lots of money stakes. flowing through this, these protocols. Like just the amount of money and volume. Like if you think people aren't going to take notice of that and try to you know sure. involved, they're like exploit it but it's just it's a given and it's the frontier as well i mean you can end up in these like you know these old western like gunfights like when the market's going down it's just kind of a scary situation it's just yeah it's high stakes protocol development essentially so um so so when i was so i was on um um your app the, uh earlier and uh it's fixed rate and not variable rate borrowing almost any any of every other like DeFi protocol out there uh is doing trying to like do some crazy uh variable rate like market you know fast marketplace for interest rates like you yeah. were talking about earlier tell me why you went the opposite direction and, and the benefits of this yeah the protocol right now is it's our mvp is what's deployed right now and it's very like we built it when yeah we so at the, at the time when Solana development was still pretty Basic, like if you compare Solana um, infrastructure to Ethereum, like Ethereum has like the you know, six-year head start in terms of developer tooling, and so the it's it's not hard to build Solana programs, but I'd say we're like more slow moving right now because of all the risk involved. Right now, it's it's very similar to I mean it's cross-margin volume lending, so the, the interest rates do fluctuate, but to engineer the protocol that we wanted to build, we we basically released the MVP and we're like, okay, we're going to spend, we spent roughly seven months developing the new protocol, which we're rolling out. I think we may even be deploying it this week. It's pretty much day to day right now in terms Congratulations. of- Congratulations. Just, uh, yeah. You know, it's, we're like on the one yard line and you know, like with like, you know, four downs to get in and zone, there's always like a lot of timeouts and stuff. I always like sure. make these uh, football analogies that I think are kind of funny, but- Pretty much there. And uh, then we'll start rolling out all these more powerful features like fixed rate and fixed term lending. And it's just a much more powerful primitive that gives people more risk management tools. And then we'll be you know, working on matching lenders and borrowers to facilitate this more natural market. So there's like, you know, for us, we kind of look at it as like when we deploy, it's this is like, then we're live. And I feel like that's when our journey like really begins because they're going to be building everything on top of this new protocol. And so that was the, the calculated uh, decision we made was a lot of people are building, like there's a lot of building going on right now, but we wanted to really create a product that differentiated ourselves and, and introduce this because innovation takes time, right? Sure. You can't just roll out a protocol and say, hey, this, this you, know, you can't just deploy a protocol that's forked and it's the same as another protocol. Because then it just 
you have these commoditized services that don't really serve anyone. So like, I look at it as like, well, the bear market is the time when the protocol, you know, the, the projects that really buckled down and like really work until the dust clears and like find these the next wave of innovation that's going to really bring more users. That's going to be the successful uh, strategy. And that's, of course, the strategy we took really focused on engineering products. So, um, but yeah, fixed rate, fixed term, and even just uh, more like esoteric lending products that can fit. Because not everyone just wants that that dynamic interest No, you rate, want right? a fixed Some rate, people. yeah. Yeah. Like if you're going to go buy a house, right? You don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to take out like, just as an example, like, you know, $500,000, a million dollars. And then you, you have like, you know, 3% rate and it shoots up to like 50% or like even higher. That's just like, you know, not good for, for like your, your like mental health and like your pocketbook because that's just a high interest rate. The, uh, the, the commercial lending is worth. Yeah like $10 billion a year and retail lending, it's probably a lot higher. I don't even have the statistics on me. Do you, you think that's where this is going? Do you think that we're going to hit some like inflection point where, where to do all sorts of, cause I think that if you look at every, most citizens, at least, uh, uh, um, I shouldn't say most, but well, I would say most people like interface with lending or borrowing money at some point in their yeah. lives. But do you think, protocols like yours are going to be how we do it in the future? Oh, totally. Without a doubt. It's a huge addressable market. I mean, it's basically $250 oh, yeah. trillion dollars of like global debt. And that's not all, you know, I think people do think of debt as a scary thing, but it also is a huge driver of growth. But you want that debt to be, you, you don't want the systemic pain or systemic issues arise from sure. you know, poor debt issuance. And I think, I mean, I, I don't think, I am completely confident that blockchains, this is a focal point where everyone can look at, like, you know, check the chain, they can see, okay, well, here's the risk. And there will always be, like, you, you can get a, a good idea of the risk in the system. There are, there will always be hidden risks, but... Always. If, but... The, the biggest counterpoint to that is if when the centralized lenders all like took you know pretty big, pretty big damage, a lot of them folded and had to be bailed out by other institutions, other firms. Um, the the DeFi protocols managed everything completely fine. They stayed online, they liquidated what they needed to. In fact, that was like the high point for DeFi. And in that like it didn't like you didn't see one DeFi protocol collapse. In fact, it, it did exactly what they intended to do. DeFi is is definitely marching on, and I love I love that because uh, it was very important. And what you guys kind of needed was that was that. And I I would I I literally I literally was gonna like uh, uh, bring up is is DeFi the biggest winner of all of this? But but you just answered the question. Yeah. Um, Will Barnes, thank you so much for joining me the last hour and. And talking Ethereum, Solana, the Jet Protocol, lending, you know, bear markets, bull markets. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to, to following you and, and seeing where you're up to in the next six months to a year. Likewise, Charlie. It was a blast. And uh, thanks for having me on.